continue to recuperate. Take your Bibles and turn over in the time we have this evening to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis 13, we're back in the life of Abraham, and we return to where we were last week in Genesis chapter 13. I'd like to get through this whole chapter, um, and um, that'd be a miracle because there's 18 verses, but we're going we're gonna to go through, and I think we can do it here. We'll jump right into it. In Genesis 13, verse 1, and Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him in the south. Abram went, was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. And he went up on his journey, went on his journey from the south, even to Bethel, and into the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, or Ai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot was also which went with Abram, his flocks and herds, and tents. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great so that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelt then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and uh, thy herdmen, for we be brothers. Is not the whole land before us? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. If thou depart to the right hand, then I'll go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord like the land of Egypt, as thou come unto Zor, Zoar. Then Lot chose with him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves, the one from the other. Last week we heard about a famine. We heard about Abraham responding in the flesh. What do you do when hard times come? That was chapter 12. We saw Abraham was walking in faith. He was building altars to the Lord. He was calling on the name of the Lord. He was making God's name great in the land of Canaan. He was walking around claiming land for Jehovah. And the Canaanites were saying, who does he think he is? We saw God brought him all the way to the south, into the desert area, and brought a famine into the land. God's in control of the rain, like tonight and the thunder, and the storms, and the water, and the drought. God is the creator. He causes the rain to fall, or he can stop the rain up. So this was a test from God for Abraham's faith. What do you do when you're in a famine? What do you do when you're in the desert? And he does something foolish. He runs to Egypt. We saw that... Um, that he lied about his wife. One sin leads to another sin. That's what happened when you're walking in the flesh. He lied to protect his own skin. He was looking out for number one. And after God has to step in to protect his wife, God has to step in to protect his own name. Oftentimes God has to do that to protect his name because his name is tied to us. And when our testimony goes sour, his name also in the eyes of the Perizzites and the Canaanites goes sour. 
So God to protect his name. And then also to protect um, Abraham from himself in his own uh, disaster. God also to protect the covenant that he made to Abraham. Abraham's getting ready to uh, uh, blunder everything that God had promised to Abraham. God's covenant has to be protected because he's the one that made it with Abraham and Abraham's going to mess it up. So God has to step in and Abraham is embarrassed and ashamed. He's made mistakes. He was walking with God. Now we see a great man of faith making mistakes and walking in the flesh. God teaches him a lesson. How do you think that walk or that journey went with them in their caravan on the way back, you know, here's Abram driving the minivan and Sarai sitting off to the side and they're coming out of Egypt, crossing that border, headed back home. How do you think that conversation between husband and wife been after, after that blunder? I'm sure he got a tongue lashing, right? I, he didn't have much to say, but I'm sure she had a lot to say about that. We left Abraham in chapter 13 and what does he do? He returns back to the place of Bethel. What do godly men do when they fail? They repent and get back up. They go back. What do you do when you make a mistake? We heard about that this morning. What do you do when you get into the habit of living the Christian life out of, out of pure duty and you're not motivated by your love for the Lord? You confess. And you go back to the place where you were walking with God. You turn around and you go back to the altar that you abandoned. You go back into the fellowship where you called upon the name of the Lord. You get back on your knees and you start praying again and walking with God and worshiping God. Warren Wearsby states this, Never abandon your altars. Stay in fellowship with God at all times, no matter what the circumstance may be. And Abraham learned that lesson. He's always there waiting for you to come back. And that's what the passage in the verse that we read. Back, notice in verse 3, back to Bethel, unto the place where his tent was from the first. Look at verse 4. Unto the place of the altar which he had made there at first, and it was there that Abram called on the name of the Lord. He returned. I, I almost, I wrote down in my notes here in this in this place here, you, you kind of feel the story of the prodigal son and the father. He's ran off and he's, he's, he did the wrong thing. He sowed his wild oats in Egypt and there he's comfortable messing up his name, messing up God's name and his testimony, running from his problems instead of trusting God in it. And then when he's, when he's learned his lesson, embarrassed, he comes running back to where the father is and God is there with open arms saying, come on in. I, I can't wait to you to come, come back and let's fellowship again together. So, now God is going to put Abraham in another test, a very different type of test. This time, he's going to put him in the test of plenty. A test of plenty. I've entitled the message tonight, Abraham and Lot with plenty. Look down at verse 2. And Abram was very rich. You see that? You may want to underscore that word, rich. He was rich in cattle, he was rich in silver, and he was rich in gold. 
Abraham went to Egypt a wealthy man. And Abram left Egypt a wealthy man. The word used here in the Hebrew means heavy. It can be translated severe. Or in the, in the case of wealth, it can be translated the word rich. It's the same Hebrew word that was used in chapter 12 and verse 10 when it talked about the famine. The famine was very grievous. I think it's the way the King James uses the word grievous there. It's the same word. It means the famine was very rich. Famine rich, that doesn't know. So, you trans- the famine was great. It was heavy. It was great. It was, it was, it was very bad or it was, it was heavy. So, when this word is used of someone's wealth, it means heavy. Not his body weight, but his possessions. We would use in our modern vernacular, he is loaded. You know what loaded means? I mean, he's... He's, his checkbook is packed, his, his, his savings account, his IRA, his, um, you know, he, his possessions, his bonds, everything. He is very wealthy. Abraham was rich and had a lot of gold, silver, cattle, and flocks. Even in fact, he was one of the richest men in Palestine at this time. Probably in the whole area. He is envied. What do you do when you're in a famine? You're supposed to trust God and keep walking by faith. You don't run to Egypt. You don't get in the flesh. That was lesson in chapter 12. But what do you do when you're loaded? What do you do when you have plenty? What do you do when you're rich? Now we would, we're going to see that tonight. You, you may not consider yourself this evening loaded. You may, you may open your wallet like mine and it's empty, okay? There's a couple cards in there, but there's not, no cash. But listen, compared to the, the world's population internationally, all of us in here are wealthy. No matter where you are and how much you have. We, we are all rich from the world's standpoint. We don't live from day to day. We have freezers, we have refrigerators, we have two cars, we have insurance, we have money to do fun things. We can go out to eat if we choose or we can go home and we've got stuff back at home. We can go to a museum if we choose to on a day off. We can spend some extra cash on clothes and phones and apps and Amazon. Pretty, pretty much everybody in here would have that liberty. From, from the world's standpoint, and the, and, and the majority of people in the world, we are wealthy. But some people, God blesses with more wealth. And riches beyond the normal. What do you do when you have more than enough? Well, let's watch Abraham. First of all, in verse 4, we don't want to miss this, even though I've read uh, this for you, but I want you to notice Abraham worships God. He went back to the place of worship, and there he called on the name of the Lord. It is a blessing when wealthy people still worship God. That's a blessing. 
When people who have plenty still recognize their dependence upon God who gave it to them. Abraham, even when he was rich, prayed to the Lord. He still called on the name of the Lord. It is amazing to find people who have plenty who actually seek God first and foremost in their life. Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10 says that we are to honor the Lord with our wealth. You see, being rich is not evil. Wealth is not evil. It's greed, the love of money, that is the root of all evil, the Scripture says. Having things and having more things is not wrong. It's when things have you. That's when it's wrong. There's a lot of poor people who run to the church when they're in need. We get phone calls all the time about people who, are, who have come on hard times and in difficult situations that don't have, and the very first people they call are churches, charities, um, places like this that they would call or they would pull up in a time of need, especially around Christmas season and uh, those, those time of years where we're looking for people who are being extra generous. You see, what, what do you do when you come on hard times? This natural tendency, even from the unsaved people, is to run to God. Right? Now we saw a mistake from Abraham where he ran to Egypt. But more often than not, when a hard time comes in your life, where do you often find yourself? Back to church, back on your knees, back praying to the Lord, and, and, and getting alone with the Lord. That, that's a more natural tendency. Well, what about when you have more than enough? What about when God blesses you and things are going well? What about when you have health? What about when you have wealth? What about when you have prosperity? Do you still depend upon the Lord and worship the Lord? Abraham is rich, and yet he's still building altars to God and praying and singing and thanking God. Praise the Lord for wealthy people who still are in love with God and not enslaved to their wealth, who will still take time to worship. That tells me that Abraham was a humble man. Most often, wealthy people are not humble, right? They like to be known by first name basis or last name. People like Oprah and Trump and Kobe and LeBron, right? And Jordan. They like to name brand their names, all right, and, and put them out there. And they like, they, they like to be wealthy, and they like the pride that wealth gives them. Beware if you have plenty that you do not become prideful. John D. Rockefeller, who was an oil tycoon, became a millionaire at the age of 33. And yet, he read his Bible every day. He attended prayer meeting twice a week. And he held his own Bible study with his family every week. He was a deacon in his church. At age 45, it is recorded that he was giving over $100,000 every year to the Lord. At age 53, it's estimated that he was giving $1 million a year to the Lord. You see, his life verse was Luke 6, 38. Give, 
and it will be given unto you. I've got a book that somebody gave me a few years ago in Sparta on R.G. Letourneau. Some of you may know of his nice little biography, a man who came a hard worker in the early 1900s, late 1800s, who ended up being a mover of men and mountains. He was the one who invented the earth movers and, um, and, and a lot of the heavy-powered equipment and um, uh, the Letourneau uh, company that he established and he built. Many don't know about Letourneau is that he was a member of the Christian Missionary Alliance. He was the president of the Deacons, or, or the Gideons International and that at one point he gave 90% of his annual income to the Lord and lived off of only 10% of what he made. He chose to be um, invest in missions around the world. Praise God for wealthy people who still love God and are not a slave to their wealth. And can I make another observation here tonight? Look down at verse 5. And Lot... Also, Lot also what? Lot also had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them, for they might dwell together, for their substance was great. Do you know who else was rich and loaded? Lot. Lot. He's in the same situation as Abraham, but notice how he responds when he has plenty, when he has wealth. So, we see Abraham in worships God. We see Abraham in conflict. Verse 7, and there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and all of the Canaanites, the parasites, were watching. Okay. All, all of these Canaanites in the land and all these group of people are looking over at this wealthy man Abraham and wealthy man Lot and this uncle and nephew and their herdmen who are fighting in the field over the same land, over the same things. You know, sometimes people think that if I just had more, then all my problems will go away. You know what this verse and these verses tell us? They tell us that just because you may have a million dollars doesn't mean that all your problems are going away. Those who win the lottery actually get in more trouble and still end up in a few years poor and begging. Money does not solve your problems. That's a lie if you think it will. In fact, most often than not, the more you have, the more problems you bear. The more responsibility that you carry. Having a lot and being rich was not as easy as it looked. It caused problems. Plenty of problems have come from having too much. Those who have much carry a heavy load of responsibility. And when it comes to struggles, when you have little and when you have a lot, Notice the word in verse 7, strife. You can write this, underscore this, and see the conflict, the problem that happened. Here are two families who are fighting over the same land, the same wells, the same property. 
You know, there have been families who I have watched in a funeral home as wills are being read and possessions and inheritance are being talked about and siblings are fighting, struggling over money. Who has this and who has that? I've seen churches and church members that have split more often over money and possessions than anything else. People get really mad when you start talking about money and things. I told you not too long ago, I saw two grown men, one a deacon of a church in the fellowship hall, fighting over whose table it was. My dad went through a church split with deacons and committee members over bill, of the building of an educational building. Michael Talley was here a couple weeks ago, and he can give testimony. He was a good friend to my dad during that very difficult time. In fact, I was in the lobby a year or two ago at the teacher's convention and saw one of those families who ended up leaving our church because of this conflict and the hurt. When conflict and strife happens within the family of God and the people of God, it does a terrible thing to the testimony of God. Warren Roosby says this, When believers fight, it hurts the testimony of the Lord. Christian unity is fragrant and fruitful, but disunity turns that fragrance into a stench and the garden into a desert. Can I say this in our church? Would you guard yourself from this danger, please? Of fighting over things. Of fighting over money. Of fighting over possessions and whose is whose. Would you protect yourself from having conflict with someone else? Would you be a peacemaker and not a troublemaker? I think it would be good for us to see a passage in the New Testament in James chapter 3. Turn over to James chapter 3 and listen to what James says about conflict within the church. James chapter 3 and verse 14. But if ye have bitter envy and strife, there's our word, strife, conflict, in your hearts, James 3, 14. Glory not. In other words, don't boast in that. Don't lie against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but it's earthly. It's sensual. It's devilish. It's fleshly. For where envying and strife, where there is jealousy and where there is conflict, there is confusion and every type of evil work. But when the wisdom that is from above, it's first pure, and what's the word? Peaceable. Gentle, that's tender. Easy to be entreated. Full of mercy. In other words, I'm willing to let go and let someone else show mercy. And good fruits, without partiality in our word from this morning, is without, what's the word, class? Hypocrisy. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace. And just in case you didn't get it, what is in the unity of the church and of them that make peace? 
James is crying out to a New Testament church saying, stop the arguing, stop the bickering, stop the class warfare of who comes in. Stop using your tongue to lash down at someone else over tables, chairs, flowers, and the color of carpet. And learn at all possible to be at peace with one another. What do you do when you have more than enough? If you're not careful, it can be a problem. It can be a problem if you get in the flesh. Praise the Lord, we ended this last year with $122,000 above our budget. The surplus. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord that we have people who will give over and above and beyond. Praise the Lord for that. But if we're not careful and we get in the flesh, we can fight over it. We can, fight, we can find a blessing that turns into a curse, but also a curse that can turn into a blessing when God teaches us through those difficult times. Notice what Abraham does. How does he respond when conflict happens? This could help you in your home, in your marriage, and with your children. What do you do? First of all, you be kind. You be kind. You say, Pastor, where did you find that? That is in verse 8. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee. Look at verse 9. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee. Do you notice the phrase, I pray thee? It's a particle of entreaty. That would be for those who like language. The Hebrew translation of this word, anah, anah, can be translated please. The NASB actually translates this word, please, instead of I pray thee. It literally means, no, please, now, I pray thee. This word is a kind word. He says it twice. Please, Lot, let's not fight. I mean, the whole land is before us. Please, let's, let's come to a good conclusion about this. He's being kind. He's using words like please, kids, and thank you. He's using his words to be kind. Abraham addresses Lot with kindness. This is the way you stop fighting. Don't render evil for evil, but evil for good. When someone is mad and angry, respond with kindness. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words just will stir up anger. More often than not, the conflicts that we have within our family, between husband and wife, and parent and child, and siblings together, would be solved if just one of them would get out of the flesh and say, this isn't right. We need to be kind. And I'm going to do it first. I'm going to show kindness. Keep your voice calm. Say please and thank you. And show kindness. Ask questions. Abraham asked questions and makes some good observational truths. We are brothers. Is not the whole land before us? Hughes points out that Cain ignored his brother, saying, am I my brother's keeper? Abraham, in this passage, recognized Lot, who is his nephew, as an equal, as a brother. Abraham or Abram is recognizing I am my brother's keeper. And my nephew 
is my brother, and I'm going to treat him like my brother. He, he is kind. He, is, he asks questions. He, he, he addresses. He makes some observations. This is not well that we're fighting like this and that our, our, our herdmen are fighting like this. He, he, and then last, he's generous. You take the left hand and I'll take the right. But if you take the right, I'll take the left. What is Abram doing? Abram is giving Lot the first choice. John MacArthur states this. He waves his right of seniority. He gave Lot the first choice. Chuck Swindoll says, Abram could have said, I am the uncle, you are the nephew, get out of here, boy. Find your own place. This was mine. You followed me from Ur, I'm the leader here. I'm the senior in charge. Find your own place. But he doesn't do that. Why? Because Abraham is kind. He's generous. You can take whatever you want. You choose first. You see, the reason Abram was able to do that is because the land, he didn't belong to the land. The land belonged to him. In other words, the land didn't rule him. He ruled the land. He recognized that it wasn't his anyway. He was a steward of what God had given him. Take this side, take this side, it doesn't matter. I've learned in whatsoever state I'm in to be content. Where did he learn that lesson from? Did you read chapter 12? You know what? When you go through hard times and you've run to Egypt and you've done the wrong thing and God had to give you a spiritual wallop, you've learned lessons. You say, you know what? I'm not going to hold on to the things of this world. doesn't mean that much to me. Lot, you choose. If you take, you take the better, that's fine. I'm trusting God anyway. I'm not trusting the land. I'm trusting the Lord. Abram was not trapped by his possessions. He had already given it away. You see, the possessions were only tools. He was a steward. And they were only there to provide what God had allowed him to provide. Generosity flowed easy to Abram because he was not ruled by greed and money. When a person is ruled by greed and money, they don't want to give. That's where the strife gets worse. That's mine. Give it back. How dare you touch that? That's mine. Are you trapped by what you own or by what is yours? Can I just be practical today? What about things in our life that can rule us? TVs, hobbies, sports, cars, homes, phone, boat. I learned a new word this week in some of my reading. I, I don't even know if I pronounce it right. Fubbing? P-H-U-B-B-I-N-G. It is defined as the act of ignoring your companion or child in favor of your phone. Being a phone snob. That's what fubbing means. And the article that I read said that children and teenagers are angry and irritated with their parents because they are fubbing. In other words, they're so trapped and enamored by their phone and their possession they're being controlled by it and they're ignoring 
their responsibility as husband and wife. And maybe there's some teen fubbers, right? some teenagers that are fubbing. Right? You're, you're ignoring the relationships around you because you can't see anything else but that thing that you possess. That means that phone owns your heart. That car owns your heart. That job owns your heart and everything else. And you become a slave to that. You say, no, 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 no. I don't have a problem. I can put it down. Sure. We went to the restaurant the other day and there was a family of about six, husband and wife and several kids. Every single one of them had a device out at the table. That was a family, no doubt, that was controlled by the things of this world. Now, that, that doesn't mean it has to be every time you have a phone or you have a television or you have something that is on. But remember, don't let it rule you. Because if it rules you, you won't be generous. You won't be kind. You, you, you won't have that type of spirit. Romans 12 and verse 10. Be kindly affectionate towards one another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. Those who are blessed can easily be blinded to those who are in need. Can I say that again? Those who are blessed, those who are loaded, if they are prideful, can be blinded to those who have need. And the other way around, those in need can be easily blinded by the burden of those who are blessed. Those who are in need can look at someone who is loaded and say, man, what a prideful snobbish person who has all of this and never thinks of anybody else. You can be blinded by thinking that. Abraham was loaded, but he wasn't unkind. He was generous. And, and he was tender. Abraham put peace before prosperity. He put peace and unity in the home and the family before his things. And he, But if you notice in this, if you... If, if you struggle with greed, then you need to work at being generous. Does money and things rule you? Do money and things rule you? Does it make you unkind and stingy? Somebody said it's more blessed to give than receive. That's Jesus who said that. Do you know the joy of giving? Actually seeing someone praise the Lord and cry because of a gift that you gave. There is a joy in learning to be generous. Oftentimes those who give the largest gifts give it anonymously because they don't want the praise. They don't want the glory. They just want to step back and watch the joy of giving. But sometimes in conflict between brothers... You do have to separate. Abram and Lot realized that they had plenty. They had enough. They were blessed. There was a lot going on. And if at possible, the scripture says, live at peace with one another. But because it wasn't possible, these, these two people had to separate. Do you remember Paul and Barnabas? Because of a disagreement. And a conflict within them. They couldn't work together anymore. Abram and Lot could not live together anymore. It wasn't possible. The conflict was too great. The, the, the issue of the land and the herds and the, and the water. And the, so they did have to make a separation of their family. But Abram at all possible did it 
in a peaceful, kind way. Now, from verse 10 down to verse, um, verse 11. Actually, let's just read it. And Lot lifted up his eyes. Here's the choice that he was given. And beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Notice Moses puts that in. Even as the garden of the Lord, which would be Eden. And just like the land of Egypt... Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed east and he separated himself, themselves the one from the other. Lot made his choice. He saw. The word here in the Hebrew means he soaked it in. He soaked it up. From Bethel at an elevation of 3,000 feet, he could see the Jordan Valley. And he looked and his eyes loved what he saw. You see, much trouble has come from what we see. When we see it, we want it. The choice was given. He was given the choice. But he chose not because he prayed about it. Not because he built an altar to the Lord. He didn't call on the name of the Lord. But because he saw it and he wanted it. Covetousness leads to all kinds of evil. His heart saw his, what his eyes were looking at and he was thinking of himself. That sure looks like Egypt. Where did he get Egypt from? He just come from with Abraham. Just like Egypt, just like the Garden of Eden, Lot's choice was not based on what God wanted, but on what he wanted. He wanted the best the world could offer with no thought about what God would have for him. Because his heart was in Egypt. His heart was in Egypt. And he pitched his tent towards Sodom in verse 12. And his choice affected his family for years to come. Verse 13 reminds us of the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the ultimate destruction because of their compromise. And how this led Lot from one direction down to the other. Kent Hughes compares Lot's life to the life of Cain. When Cain chose to go his own way, he went down to the land of Nod, east of Edom. And Genesis 4 and verse 16 says, he went away from the presence of the Lord. Lot does the exact same thing. He goes east, he dwells down in the place far away from the Lord. You know why he did that? Because Lot's heart was wrapped up in the things of this world. He was rich, but he didn't worship God. Epps points this out in his commentary. It is never recorded that Lot ever built an altar. He is not known in the scripture for his fellowship with God. How do people know you? How do people know you in your life and, and with what you have? Are you still a person who can be blessed with things and possessions and still run and worship the Lord? Or are you like Lot and you are ruled by the things of the world? And I would tell you, that end is disastrous. Abraham learned from his mistakes. Lot didn't. Abram and Lot with plenty. That's a very dangerous test to be in. Father, I pray as we close tonight. Thank you for the testimony of Abram. Thank you for his kindness here. Men like Job and Joseph and Abram and Joseph of Arimathea. 
who were wealthy people in the Scripture who did not allow their wealth to blind them, cause them to have pride or selfishness, but were generous and kind. Thank you for the people in our church who, who have learned these lessons, who have been blessed. Thank you for blessing us and giving us, even in this ministry, um, so much that we, we have because of the hard work and the dependence and the prayer and the building of the altars to the Lord that has been a testimony. Would the things of this world never rule us and master us, but would we use them as tools for your honor and glory? Would they never be a source of strife and conflict within this church? And would families and husbands and wives and children, when it, when it comes to entertainment and television and games and toys and things and phones ever, ever be ruled by them? And when it does, and there's, there's a slight tendency to allow that to happen, would they be tender enough to, to realize it and not be a hypocrite, but change their action and be willing to be sensitive to even correction in Jesus' name?